Good evening. Welcome again. It's good to see you all. I can tell the rains have come back. People were early for meditation today. <laughs> so we've been exploring this very interesting and deep topic of um, life purpose or life vow is more what we say in the Dharma context, uh, connecting to deep intention. Uh, and this, this has been a series of explorations over the past few weeks and next week will be the last week. Um, but it's really like a lifelong investigation and relationship to um, you could say what to your vows, to your intentions for living, and you know those permeate all the different dimensions of our life. So often when we think of life purpose, and we've talked about this a number of times, or I've talked about it a number of times during these talks, is we can get like career focused, or like what am I doing with the majority of my time, or what am I doing for work, or what am I getting paid to do, and sometimes forget all these other ways that we manifest and live you know even just the moment to moment which is everything <laughs> really is everything it's like how are we i mean that's part of what i brought up in meditation like how are we you know practicing when the mind gets distracted like that just the attitude that we bring to um, our meditation is also part of vow, part of intention, part of life purpose. So we can really um, begin to examine like how are we living from from the thought level, from the from the mind level, because that seeds our our actions and our behaviors. So I was calling that uh, the primary vow or the unconditioned vow. I like unconditioned better. It's like no matter what the conditions. What are you living for? What are you, what are you valuing? What are you investing in? What are you putting your energy into? Uh, so today I want to pick off a pickup where we left off last, last time, last week. We're talking about um, what I call the high dream. So how we can uh, involve uh, our imaginations in the way that we think about our, our life's work, our life's purpose. Um, and I propose this question of what would you do if you could do anything? And the invitation here is to let the dreamer part of you, the part that can just imagine, uh, to have some, to have some, uh, space to, to get the mic, to get to like, tell you <laughs> or show you. Um, or dream into it, or, or just even to be given that freedom to imagine uh, or, or to connect with vision. Because oftentimes what, what can happen um, when we're like letting ourselves vision or letting ourselves dream something new um, is that a critical part can come in. And this can be around anything. Like we might have a dreamer part that's like, I really want to take singing lessons. And then, you know, this other part of us comes in and is like, you're no good at singing or this memory comes up like second grade and singing in public or someone criticizing you. And then it's just squashed. It's just like, oop, not going there. 
so this is an invitation you know, to notice those parts if they come up, of course, like our protective parts come up when we do anything, <laughs> um, anything vulnerable. Um, so noticing if, when they come up and asking if they give you a little bit of space so that you can dream. Not that you're going to like take action and go <laughs> down the road that the dreamer is, but just to let that process of imagining and possibility alive in your life. And this is something you can do like once a week for a couple months just to practice dreaming, to practice imagining, to practice allowing dream to happen and see, you know, in different days, in different contexts, um, we may have, you know, more of that dreamer available or like their ability to really imagine maybe more available. So one of the questions is, you know, what would you do if you could do anything? That, that does have much, like that has a quality of doing. I understand and we can fall in that trap a lot, but it's still, it's still worthwhile pondering, see what comes forward. I've been surprised I've been engaging with this. And the first time I did it was I would paint as like, go. Oh. You know, I had interestingly like started a painting and then was like, oh, I have to write my Dharma talk. And then I like did this questioning and it's like, oh, that part really wanted to paint. Um, another time I, I did, I did this, I was like, oh, I, I want to be offering the Dharma locally in Columbus. And so now I'm like pondering that. So, you know, different things can come up, different parts of us can be invited to dream. Uh, and then another question on this line is, like, what is your vision for the world? Like, what is your, like, what is the world you imagine living in? And let's think of other ways of asking that. Like, what is your dream for the world? Like, for life on this planet? You know, we've, we've been spending a lot of time in this vows, series of vows talks, like, really examining um, how we define ourselves. Because we have a habit as um, humans, <laughs> some long-standing humans, but especially as modern uh, American humans who've been raised in a capitalist society like to to be very individually focused uh, so we've been you know inviting this Dharma investigation of well who who am I and inviting this you know opening to our, our interrelations our interconnectedness to all beings so in that context, like knowing that you are part of your life is dependent on all these other lives. You live in this web of interconnection. What is your vision for the world? What kind of world do you want to live in? Do you want your kids to live in? Do you want your great, 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 great grandkids? Even if you don't have kids, you're you know, that generation, eight generations from now, seven generations from now. And then what is your vision for the work you want to do? So we can, we can also talk about work. We're not only talking about work, but you know, what kind of work do you want to do? And that might be paid work. That might be craft, that might be something that you want to invest time into, but maybe isn't paid work. 
What kind of work do you want to be doing in this world? What is your vision for that? Or maybe what is your vision for how you want to live or show up at work? But don't let yourself get hindered by your career right now. What kind of work do you want to offer the world? What's your dream or letting the dreamer, this is still the imagination part of us, play, dream. And you might, you might start to get like visions or words or images. You might notice that parts are like kind of shutting it down already, or there's like a block. This is something, you know, you might try doing after meditation or even during meditation, bringing these questions in a spirit of playfulness, curiosity. And what's your vision for your relationships? kind of relationships do you want to have or cultivate? What qualities do you want to cultivate in your relationships? What kind of communities do you want to be a part of? You don't have to think of relationship just as like, oh, me and my significant other, but relationship can be big. Maybe it needs to be big. So that invitation there, those are some questions just to kind of, you can also think of your own questions, like what really connects you to visioning and then allowing the dreamer to answer, noticing when the practical part comes in or the rational self or the part that wants to shut it down. And, and seeing if you can find ways to like feed or allow inspiration, imagination, possibility to speak in a voice dialogue, which is, which is a form of parts work. You would like shift into the part of you that is the imaginer or the dreamer. And, and you might just notice like, oh, when I'm in the dreamer, like what posture do I take? You notice I'm like, ooh, I'm a little more swayy when I'm in the dreamer. When I'm in the dreamer, maybe I stand up or maybe I stretch out. And so that's another way of contacting, like you're really like stepping into this part of you, allowing this part of you. So like do whatever you need to do to get in that part's energy, like allow that part to be. Maybe when you're in the dreamer, like you write poetry or you paint or you dance or you lay down on your bed and dream. And so, if, and then from there, like noticing, oh, how does that part feel in your body? What posture do they take? What, what voice do they have? Sometimes the dreamer or like different parts of us have like distinctly different voices than uh, we usually use in our waking, talking life. And so also notice that, like, does your voice change if you speak from the dreamer? Uh, and then you can do this as like a journaling prompt. You could record yourself asking these questions. You could do it more of, as a meditation or a thought exercise. You know, sometimes it can be helpful, especially if you are someone who meditates a lot, to like get out of the meditation posture. The meditation posture can sometimes limit us into our like, my dream for the world is peace, clarity.
spaciousness, <laughs> which is great, which is great. But, you know, maybe actually there's also more and the dreamer has a little more to, to give you. So that's um, you know, one practice that we can do. And part of this, you know, I find, I find it so enlivening to connect with my vision for the world. Like we can get into habits of thinking of the world um, from like the critical mind, from what's not working, from the injustices that we see. And those, you know, those can be fuel for dreaming something else. Um, but sometimes it can also just like make us want to like retract or, or fight against or get angry and, and kind of become disempowered by the world. So to like hold a vision for the world, this is something I learned from Angel Kyoto Williams, who's a great activist and Dharma teacher. And she, she was giving a talk once uh, in Portland and I went to see her and she was, you know, giving us this invitation to, to imagine the world that we want to live in and imagine like, like actually see ourselves and, and the, the beings that we are living with in this world. And like, what does that look like? Like, how do I, and part of her invitation is like, well, how do we invite that now? Invite that seeing, like, how do we see it in, in this world? There's a quote from Arundhati Roy. Um, Another world is not only possible. She is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And so you know, holding out your vision, like our vision shapes our reality. Our visions, you know, can start to sound like manifesting kind of people who are into manifesting, but it's like, there's a Dharma truth to that. And Dogen Zenji has this quote, our, our aspiration um, becomes our practice. Our practice becomes our realization and our realization becomes our expression. He says, oh, really, all of those are one. So, like, the view, and, and the Buddha talks about this, like, having right view. The view that we have about reality, about our lives, affects how we act in the world, how we speak in the world, what parts of us we let out speak and express in the world, how we see the world. So, really, like, you know, getting to play with vision um, can can create like how we show up can really have significant effects on our sense of ourselves and our sense of possibility and our sense of what is the world and there's you know so many people are dreaming into the world and so to allow our dreams to also permeate that field so that's the dreaming part and it's always important to have like a thread of your life continuing to dream to you know spark new possibilities even if you're in the midst of like really embodying or expressing a certain vow uh, or intention or vision you know still keeping that dreaming part alive so it doesn't become stale so it's because the dreaming allows us to stay connected to what's alive for us okay so first there's the dreaming and then there's grounding the dream so as you like do that exercise and kind of start to get information and let the 
possibilities part speak and give it life is there part of that high dream that we, you can work towards now given your talents your skills your passion your time your resources the true limits that we have because the dreamer can dream like unlimited which is great we need to do that more i think um, but then also okay like and we have limits and we have um, parameters so is there something you can do right now to honor that dream or any part of that dream you know, one might be just reminding yourself of the vision that you have for the world it's a vision of interconnection maybe it's a vision of peace or living of compassion or maybe it's really seeing everyone's true nature seeing underneath our reactivities and fears and really seeing the, the human in everyone what would it be like to live in a world where we're seeing each other's humanity our beauty our spiritual power So what would it look like? What would it look like in your relationships, in your work, in your personal life, if you connected to some aspect of the dreaming, some aspect of the imagining part? Maybe my dreams weren't super big. Like I said, I'd paint or I'm going to start a Zen group in Columbus, but and then like what's one thing I can do right now I could take a painting class but that also like what comes up in like your personal dream is like maybe really informative of like what you value I found that interesting I'm like oh wow like painting came up for me like I do really value creativity I really want to foster people's creativity in my relationships in my life in my dharma teaching and so that was like kind of an aha for me of like how much i value creativity and expression and art which maybe i don't let myself like believe about myself as much so yeah sometimes there can be little ahas and then like really simple ways of bringing that more into my life like oh i could paint more i could take a painting class ask people about their creative endeavors that's a cool way to connect with someone um so one way of grounding the vision is setting intentions for the day uh, i um right now one of the things i'm doing for work is uh helping mentor and coach uh, educators who are going through um a learning module called compassion and dignity through the university of colorado and um one of my like peer mentors on that uh, was telling me about a practice that he learned that he started doing every day and it's called intention setting which is a simple practice right but he said the way that he approaches it is he thinks about his whole day ahead and you know, just thinks about like the different challenging parts of the day, the different parts of the day that um, maybe there's some ease or enjoyment. And then he imagines like, okay, how do I want to show up in my life? Like connecting to that primary vow. And he imagines, okay, what would that look like in 
this parent-teacher conference with this really confrontive parent, like how do I stay connected to compassion? And, and he imagines doing it. And then when the time, and then he said, when the time comes, then he has more access to that. He remembers like, oh yeah, my intention with this parent is to be compassionate, to listen to them, to, to try to understand them and where they're coming from. And so that's another way we can really like practically connect to our vows is to let yourself like think ahead of the day and like, you know, some things we can't predict, of course, but like, you know, maybe there's a part, a, a challenge you're having in a particular relationship and you want to remember that you want to show up with compassion or with listening or with setting boundary. Um, and then you can like make that intention. It's a way of you know, really grounding our, our bigger vows or our more abstract vows or inchoate vows into uh, our daily life. So there's also, I want to just talk about additional ways that um, we can ground and embody our visions and dreams and vows into our lives, into our relationships, into our work. And the first is to ask for help. So to check yourself, like we let the dreamer dream and then kind of check ourselves like, well, who is dreaming that? Was that like a part of me? Was that like a really egotistical part of me? Um, it, sometimes it can be interesting just to ponder, like what are the motives behind some of these dreams? And there's this, phrase I'm learning I think it's from AA the motive behind the motive so like you know as we continue to practice and develop and cultivate and clarify our visions and dreams we can start to see like oh you know maybe some of this motive was like really coming from this place of uh, interconnection and, and selflessness and love or compassion and maybe some of the motive was more about my own self-protection or um, wanting to be liked or wanting to be noticed or wanting to be successful, which isn't a problem. It's not bad to want to feel safe. It's actually very good. It's very human uh, or want to be liked. But when we let those parts of us, which are usually more like vulnerable parts of us, like really lead uh, our vows, we, end, we can end up getting hurt or, um, you know, they may not actually be able to manifest with clarity because there's so much vulnerability um, mixed up with them. So learning to like care for our own vulnerabilities or work with our own vulnerabilities, which are inevitably going to come up when we make vows, um, is, you know, part of, is part of the vow-making process is to notice our own motivations and to care for the parts of us that are maybe more vulnerable or have agendas different kinds of agendas. Chazen Roshi used to say, um, the Dharma will clear up all of our motives. But part of that is we need to keep practicing. <laughs> we need to keep practicing with our vows in order for this to happen. Because vow making is like a continuous clarification process. And at every step of the vow, like from the dreaming of it to the clarifying it beginning to articulate it beginning to imagine what it would look like to bring it into our lives uh, trying it out we're, we're constantly clarifying it 
So another, um, another part of vow work is to talk about, like to start to talk about your vows or intentions with other people. Especially if you're starting to have like, you know, somebody asks this, they're like, oh, I can have, I have the clearest vision of my vow or my like, you know, kind of concrete direction. I want to take it. And then I talk to somebody and they're not on board for it or, and it's like their partner. And so like that can be like, oh, that's good feedback. Like how do we, how do we, you know, start to articulate our vows and what kind of feedback do we get? And um, like how do we kind of shift and allow for collaboration or allow for like new ideas to come in or new energy? And that part of that is like, how do we stay connected to the primary vow, to the unconditioned vow? Because if we're like so set on it, it has to look a certain way and we lose touch with like, oh, this is really about being more compassionate and living, making space for others to be compassionate. Uh, if we lose touch with that and it's like, no, it needs to like be in this building and like be like this and be like, yeah, you know, just start to get really fixated on the certain details. It, you know, it, it loses its, it loses its juice. It loses its intention. And it's, you know, it's easy to do that, <laughs> to like start, go from having like a really grounded vow in our deepest intention to like getting kind of lost in the details of it has to look a certain way. So, you know, having conversations with other people and having to collaborate, you know, allows us to keep coming back to, wait, what's the primary vow here and how can we honor that vow and, you know, continue um, to imagine it forward and, and bring it into life. I think about um, Chosen and Hogan, who started Great Vow Monastery, which is connected to, you know, this ZCO is kind of part, all part of that. And um, I often think about, like, they really had the vision. Like, they had to, like, sell the Sangha and, like, yeah, let's build a monastery or let's start a monastery, even though we only have 35 members. But then, like, the actual happening of the monastery was so much like so many other people's visions and and vows got enfolded in that to make it happen and still get enfolded in that to make it happen and to make it what it is today and they've had to like you know hold the vision and let go of the vision simultaneously which is really hard to do when you're collaborating with people is to like, okay, it's, I want the vision to be grounded in the Dharma. Hogan always comes back to that. Like, this is about the Dharma. This is about awakening. That's what he holds. And then like allows so much other creativity and voices and inspirations to come through in the making of that place. Other ways of you continuing to connect with um, vow and intention uh, is so. I'm gonna maybe talk about some more little, like more woo-woo ways. Um, dream practice. Uh, dream practice can be a great place for clarifying our vows or 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 inviting, like, what am I not seeing? Um, and one thing you can do is just before you go to sleep, this can be a really beautiful vow ritual, is to ask your dreams for guidance. 
And then to, especially if you are somebody who tends to remember your dreams, like you know, pay attention to the different symbols and images that appear and see like, oh, how are these maybe connected to my, my vow? Or how are, how are these like helping me clarify um, my vow? Sometimes like images may appear in dreams or dreams may happen that you have a lot of aversion to and that can be like a, a great place to notice like, oh, is there something like I'm afraid of or is there uh, something that I'm, I'm pushing away or walking away from that I need to integrate or incorporate? Um, or there are places, sometimes we have dreams and there's like these really powerful images and um, that may be like illuminating something of, of our own power that we also can integrate, um, maybe showing us a gift that we have that we hadn't really realized. Another, um, another way of connecting to our, our like vision and bringing vision into life is through creative process. Um, so you can do this with dreams, like bringing potent dream images into dance or poetry or song or art. I found myself doing that today. I had this dream of somebody who is like standing in this interesting posture. And during yoga, I noticed I kept standing in the posture. And I was like, oh, like there's something here about like feeling empowered. And they like had money. <laughs> they were kind of like holding their money like this. Oh, this is interesting. I've never really related to money as like so central. Um, so, you know, that can be interesting to step into a dream image or to like imagine into a dream image or to allow, and this is a little different, but to allow like, okay, so say you did that dreaming, um, dreaming a vision to allow that maybe to take an image or to take it to the creative process and like to dance your vision for the world or write a poem from your vision for the world or um, paint from your vision for the world. It's a way of like, you know, bringing, beginning to bring it into um, more of like a concrete, like physical reality without maybe having to like you know, really figure out like, okay, what's next? Like what kind of collaborations do I need or what do I need to do next? It's just like starting to be in relationship to it as something that's like happening in the manifest world. Um, some examples of that I thought of was chosen Roshi, one way that she really connected with Jizo's vow, like this vow for awakening to help others awakening awaken which is like the work of a dharma teacher was she made thousands of jesus and that's a way of her, for her to connect to that vow of jesus was to just like keep hand forming and that was her first way and then she started using molds um i at one point was making venus buddhas to so like i really wanted to connect to the sacred feminine and felt like that was missing in the zen tradition so i made like physical object again other ways like people have written vows on plaques or um or like you know connected to their vows through image like joanna macy has this story of um, when she, I think when she was in India or 
I can't remember exactly where she was. She was in like a, a, <clears throat> a Buddhist country. So maybe it was in India or maybe she was visiting the, um, like a, kind of the original, um, you know, the Bodhi tree and the original places of, of Buddhism. And she just felt like she saw this image of a bridge and she felt herself as like, oh, I'm going to be a part of this lineage, but in a different way. I'm going to be a bridge between worlds. I'm going to help bring these teachings more into my culture. And so that's, you know, that's what she did. And she did in so many different ways, but she had this very distinct image of this bridge came to her. And so some, maybe that's already even happened for you. You've like connected really strongly to um, a particular image that feels like your calling or your life's work or helps you describe or connect to uh, your vow or intention. Another thing I like to do is um, another way of like embodying vow is to like take your vow for a walk or a run or a swim or a dance or into yoga and just like see what it's like to really integrate the vow or the vision into your body. And you may notice like as you're walking with it and you're like really opening the senses, like walking outside, if that's possible, like, you know, our, our senses naturally open and you may like find that it just starts to integrate and you may have more clarity or insights um, about how it can be lived into through, through physical activity. I often take dreams for walks and that's how I like connect with the different images from a dream and let it really like integrate it to me. And then some other ways connecting with ancestors. Maybe you have like from your own lineage ancestors who have died, who are, are people who've like held like strong values that you still connect with. Maybe it's more like bodhisattva archetypes, like the archetype of Jizo Bodhisattva is the bodhisattva of vow, of intention, of living intention. And there's also uh, Kuan Yin, who's the bodhisattva of compassion, and Manjushri, who's the bodhisattva of wisdom, uh, Samantabhadra, who's the bodhisattva of great activity. You might have other like religious figures that you've connected with in other traditions that you've been a part of. Uh, you may connect with the Zen lineage in some way. There may be teachers that you know of um, who you connect with, who um, you can ask for help, like bridging this gap between living and dying and, and asking for help from our ancestors, especially like around spiritual vows. I found like just so much support in asking for help from the lineage or from the bodhisattvas in my own practice. It's a way, again, of keeping ourselves like in check, like, okay, this vow isn't just about me, but I'm leaning into this vow that's been carried. Um, Maizumi Roshi, when asked, like, what, what continues after we die, he says the vow continues. So you can sometimes even feel that, that like whatever maybe spiritual vow you have, or maybe as you're connecting with vow and just noticing like, oh, this is bigger than me. This is something that many people have worked towards or many people hold and remembering that when you connect with vow, that you're not alone in holding it or, or working towards it. Maybe you're bringing your own unique way. Uh, and then there's ritual or your own unique spin on it, which is great. 
Um, then there's ritual, like practical magic, uh, connecting to an altar. I have an altar where I have like inspiring people and I often am like moving things onto the altar that are helping me connect with the way like vow is moving through me in a particular time. Um, reading your vow or holding it into your, in your heart when you're interacting with your altar, maybe you have a chance that helps you connect with vow or you write a poem or you find a poem that helps you connect with vow. I um, also have a plant that helps me connect with vow. This is um, a cutting from Chosen's plant that she received during her transmission. And so this is one, like caretaking this plant is a way of caretaking my vow to be a Dharma teacher. So you might do that, like maybe you already have a plant that reminds you of your vow or planting a, a seed or getting a plant, but like caretaking it is a way of staying connected on a daily basis to the life of your vow or your intention. Um, and making offerings, like part of ritual is often making offerings, asking for help from the universe, from others. this uh, quality of, of asking for help and being in relationship. Um, there's this quote from a song that I connected with this week that's, listen friend, sharing depends on your ability to receive. Listen friend, sharing depends on your ability to receive. How open is your hand? That's also a good question for vow making is, are we even open to the help that is here? You know, sometimes the parts of us that feel like, oh, I need to do it alone, or I do things alone, <laughs> um, can get, you know, can get in the way for us to really um, join, join our vow see the ways that collaboration can happen or open to new possibilities or even just see the help that's being offered from from the universe more energetically i also uh, lastly like vows have seasons vows are more like moon phases than like this linear trajectory so there's times of seeding and planting and ripening and harvesting and then laying fallow uh, and there's times of dreaming and clarifying and articulating and expressing and completing and then kind of entering not knowing phases and those aren't necessarily linear like you kind of move between those uh, phases of a, of a vow um, as you meet different challenges as as it expands to include others and then maybe contracts and turns a different direction for whatever reason because that's the way the river's flowing, the river of our lives. And I'll talk more about uh, challenges next week of working with challenges, because that's definitely a part of vow making. Hogan Roshi used to say, like, you know, before we make a vow, we don't know any of the challenges, but once we like set out to like accomplish, and he would use this example of like building a bridge, then we learn all the obstacles that arise. From, if you want to build a bridge. And similarly, like anything that we want to like 
you know, begin to make more concrete, bring into the world, we're going to start to make, meet and face challenges. And how do we meet those challenges without like the part of us coming in like, oh, see, like we weren't supposed to do that. Because sometimes it may be a message of like, oh, pivot, like that wasn't quite it, like here, something else is opening. Uh, so how do we work with challenges? That's something I'll talk about next week. Well, thank you, everyone. I know I went a little over, um, but if you'd like to stay, I'm, I'm curious if anybody has any questions or anything you'd like to share in your own bowel process or 